Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, and we got bringing you another uh, pajama pandemic interview. Uh, that way, you don't have to just listen to me talk. On the line, I have Chris Winky, and he is part of the Applied Ballistics Training Division. If you guys have been listening, we've had Brian Litz on the uh, podcast the last couple episodes, and now we brought some of the AB guys to talk about what they're doing, the training division. Welcome to the podcast, Chris, and uh, if you had a chance, introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah, hey, Frank. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Uh, I'll just introduce myself real quick. Uh, so I kind of... I uh, grew up uh, doing a bit of short-range shooting with the air rifle and uh, 22 rimfire as a as a younger lad, and then um, gradually decided I needed a bigger gun as I grew up a little bit and started uh, shooting longer range in the mountains in Australia, uh, did a long-range hunting, and then naturally kind of progressioned into the military where I uh, spent some amount of time in the sniper stream uh, taking you know, additional courses in sniping as well over the years and a few other things that augment that, such as, you know, combat tracking and then gradually streamed across, decided to leave the military for a time and uh, went over to Kabul, Afghanistan with the Australian government and spent some time over there, which was, uh, you know, uh, it was satisfying and it was a lot of good job satisfaction working with the government over there. And then, um, come back to the Australian military again, back to the sniping stream for a time. And then gradually actually found my way over here. Uh, unexpected, but yeah, I've been working with AB training divisions for the last uh, two and a bit years. It's uh, basically uh, have gone from where training division was the first uh, blank word document to where it is now, where we're working, you know, across various sectors uh, throughout the year, and it's been a, a long and a wild ride, but extremely <laughs> rewarding as well. Nice. Now, how did you get in tied in with uh, Applied Ballistics? Uh, how did you get on their radar, or did you go uh, sort of like approach them? Oh, that's a funny story, actually, Frank. So, the I guess as I knew my um, my short term uh, contract with the military, as I just kind of explained, I'd just come back. Um, I was there for about 12 months and my contract was coming to an end. And so I was looking for potential other in, uh, other potential employment options and Applied Ballistics had uh, put up a post on Facebook asking for applications for engineers, actually. So knowing Applied Ballistics well, you know, we were running the Kestrel 4500s with AB for a time. Uh, we'd been doing that for a while at that point and you know, might I add, I was kind of in the industry when, um, or rather in that sector, uh, when we were using the old Mark One style data book, right? You had to shoot at every 100 meter range, record your dope, and then move back. And then this Kestrel came in with AB, which was just absolutely a game changer overnight. So we, I was pretty familiar with uh, Brian and Applied Ballistics, and I'd read uh, Brian's books a bunch of times. You know, I think uh, most listeners can relate to that you've got to read one chapter and then reread it again uh just try and absorb as much information as possible within each chapter uh, and that's a gradual process right but i uh yeah so i sent them a copy of my cv and uh explained to brian that i wasn't an engineer but maybe there was a uh, a, a possible synergy that could be had 
uh, by employing me. And, and basically, as that was discussed and it developed, it came to be where I am now, uh, you know, sitting on the back end of having helped to conceptually uh, form AB Training Division and roll it out as a, as a full training capability for the applied ballistics ecosystem. Nice. So, and, and you had said, so on paper, which a lot of people don't realize this, AB's training division has been around um, for, for more than a year now. And most, most of your work was military law enforcement, but you do have a civilian side of that training division that you go out there and partner with other people, put classes on and, and do that. So that, that was kind of the, the, the main point that, you know, guys know that AB's in the military side of things and through their products and their works, but they, they, they weren't quite aware that there was resources beyond sort of Brian's seminars for civilian shooters out there. Yeah, so I'm glad actually you brought that up, Frank, because uh, for, as you said, training division's been around for a little while now. I think uh, training division was founded in 2018 and we publicly launched in uh, early 2019. So we've been public now for about 12 odd months where we offer, you know, uh, civilian shooting uh, courses and training. Um, Before that, we were kind of uh, operating you know, a little bit behind the scenes in the military and law enforcement sector. We've continued to do that. Um, but as such, we've, you know, definitely been expanding to make sure that we're able to produce and provide the information to, uh, you know, sports shooters, hunters, um, just the general civilian sector as well, because we understand that, you know, there is sometimes some misinformation out there in the civilian shooting sector. And it's important that we... Uh, provide that um, that communication link to shooters and give them the most factually correct information as well. Um, and that kind of ties into you know our training objectives, our approaches, our training philosophy as a company as well. I'd be kind of curious, what do you guys consider like your biggest single point of misinformation? I would say that probably um, the biggest single point of misinformation that I come across, and I typically uh, deal with the, you know, practical application of things. You know, there's definitely the science end where you've got the AV laboratory um, and the infrastructure within the company that heavily supports the uh, scientific testing of, of, you know, various uh, objectives and goals. But, in terms of training division itself, we try and focus on providing the, the link between those scientific results and that information and then the practical end user. So I kind of center around um, teaching people how to utilize external ballistics knowledge in a practical application and utilizing AB, the AB solver in a practical application, you know, whether it be the Kestrel, the Garmin, the range of LRFs like the uh, Bushnell Nitro or the uh, Sig Kilo. Now, probably the biggest thing that I, I run into is um, uh, shooters not having a good handle on the actual solver features themselves. And that kind of pertains to um, aerodynamic jump, uh, definitely the calibration processes as well, I would say, are one of the biggest ones. There's a large... Uh, misperception on how to utilize the calibration processes effectively to, uh, you know, get the most out of the AV solver. 
we and we talked about that this morning and and one of the the things that I see is is I think you're absolutely right is that a lot of people have this sort of information overload and software and I feel that a lot of new shooters and, and some of the, the the less informed shooters out there, they dive into their phones like it's an app. You know, it's an app. We know it's an app, but like the app is a game. So they look at it and they start sort of noodling around and they're playing with this setting and doing that setting and they throw some some odd pieces out of whack. But then they continue to to kind of run down that rabbit hole and chase it. Because, you know, they started off in a bad place noodling it and they end up in a worse place and then they just keep going and going and going because they really don't have that direction. Is that something that you guys see is that people just go a lot faster and harder into the software side of things versus knowing the the, the, the trade craft part of it? And it's like, hey, here's a shortcut in my pocket. Let me try that before realizing where the destination might be actually be yeah i would say it's, it's twofold frank uh, you know as a you know a primary training objective is you know ultimately what we're trying to meet we're trying to provide the link between you know good fundamentals and good solid uh shooting um techniques and and knowledge and skills and carry that across to the application of understanding those external ballistics effects and how to account for them, but more importantly, how to use the AB solver to account for them. And so I would say like when it comes to especially startup shooters that, you know, and it might, when I say startup shooter, it doesn't necessarily mean, um, you know, someone who's new to long range. It can just be someone who's new to using ballistic solvers themselves. Right. Right. Uh, because in terms of everything, it's, it's, a relatively new technology in the sense that it's something that's only really been available in our pocket for, you know, uh, not that, not that long in the grand scheme of things, considering how long, you know, longer range shooting has been around versus the ballistic solver to be able to calculate your trajectory and then uh, predict the firing solution output. Right. So, that's um, definitely one thing that I see. But in terms of, uh, you know, those new shoulder shooters that are utilizing a ballistic solver, I would say that it's um, there's so much misinformation out there uh, in terms of uh, videos that, you know, because anyone can make a video and anyone can put it up on YouTube, uh, you know, or maybe you can't necessarily these days with, with, <laughs> with the, uh, the firing and the firearms industry, right? But, um, Anyone can kind of like, you know, push certain aspects of information, but the difference is sometimes that information is not correct. And so there's like volumes and volumes of misinformation that shooters need to wade through. And it's kind of interesting because so many shooters, they'll spend uh, so long like wading through the forums and wading through like different videos and things like that to get themselves a, um, to get themselves like a, a better understanding of how to utilize the, you know, the device or the app or whatever they're utilizing, right? But realistically, like that's kind of conceptually how AB training came about was to do exactly that, provide that information, provide the most correct information direct from the source for the shooter so that the shooter could come to us and be like, well, you know, this is what I'm experiencing or this is what I'm seeing. I, uh, I plugged in all of my inputs. I can't seem to get my firing solution to match up to what I'm seeing on the ground. 
And who better to answer that question and troubleshoot that problem than the company that developed the solver that knows the intricacies of how that solver works in the background and then can also apply the external ballistics um, theory into a practical sense uh, behind the scenes as well to answer those questions. Because, you know, when it comes to ballistic solvers and when it comes to AB devices, right, I, you know, I constantly preach to people or reiterate to them every time I kind of speak about the, the solver itself, I outline that if you've gone ahead and you've generated that gun profile correctly and you've captured all of your inputs correctly, you've done any calibration process that was necessary, if it was necessary, um, and you go ahead and you update your target parameters, your environment, you know, you set it up correctly, when you go ahead and calculate that firing solution, it should literally just come down to your ability to read the wind downrange. That is it. Okay. Um, what's, what's like your first four hours? Like, so you, somebody's going to go to, are, are your classes two day, three day? They, they vary. How, what's, what's a time frame for a typical sort of AB class that a civilian shooter would go to? What would be, how many yeah. days would that be? Yeah, so we currently uh, offer a, a bunch of different training curriculum. And uh, when I initially put that all, all together, I put together um, a, a few different course packages. And these course packages, they have, you know, uh, overarching training outcomes that are, are, you know, ingrained within the curriculum itself. And then they flow down into learning objectives that are tr which the trainers are trying to meet during the uh, – the lesson itself or during the period. So it's like pretty structured in the sense that we know what we're trying to achieve in each training package. Uh, we are, and we know how we're going to get there, but there's also some amount of, uh, you know, freedom and flexibility that goes with that as well being, you wouldn't be a very efficient trainer or a very effective trainer if you just delivered the content, but it wasn't practically useful for the, uh, the shooting audience that you're working with. So when I did that and I developed the training curriculum over the last, you know, um, few years and we constantly refine and, and polish it, um, the first two courses uh, that we offer in the uh, civilian sector are three-day courses and the last two courses are two-day courses. And there's for the first three courses, um, so the first course is long-range essentials. And that course basically begins at the, uh, it, well, it does exactly that. It begins at the basic level, right? And uh, it kind of provides shooters with instruction in external ballistics, AV solvers, like long-range practical application and how to cross that all in. So if you're like a relatively new shooter um, to long-range or especially, as I was saying, new to long-range shooting using ballistic solvers, that would be your entry-level course to get in and fully understand how to utilize the device and be able to um, walk away from that course with confidence that you could utilize that solver efficiently enough or the device efficiently enough that you could get your hits on target out to at least a thousand yards. Um, the other thing that we also count with uh, city training is uh, we have a number of applied ballistics like training devices. So every time we kind of roll into training, uh, we'll bring, you know, however many kestrels, garments and you know, it's more than enough to support if each shooter wanted to use a Kestrel or if each shooter wanted to use a Garmin 701. Um, so that's kind of handy as well, being that we understand some shooters aren't going to 
have a Kestrel or aren't going to have a Garmin, or maybe they just want to use their AB mobile app because that's what their uh, long-range uh, habit or their long-range uh, hobby can afford, right? Um, and so we just want to train them in the best methods to utilize the solver and then apply that back to the practical application of long-range shooting so that they can enjoy more success in the target, essentially. Now, so uh, what's, are, are you when, when they show up at a class, like first your first day in an essential, first four-hour, and I'm sure you come in, you do the safety briefs and all that stuff, um, you know, yeah. the admin side of things out of the way. But once you kind of get into – Hey, this is the class. Are are you giving them X amount of hours in the classroom first? Or are you going out and shooting with them and, and and seeing what they bring to the table? What what's your process? Like n- new civilian class, new shooters, admin stuff's out of the way. We're ready to go. Where where we where we landing? Yeah, it certainly varies uh, course to course. Like, um, but the one thing we do across every single course, regardless of the experience level, is we begin the course that first four hours of your same strength with uh, weapon setup and profile generation. And, you know, we do that uh, for, a, for a number of reasons, right? And that's typically because firstly, like for those first few courses or the first one or two courses, um, shooters may not necessarily have the, uh, the correct input or may not have all the inputs to step straight into generating a gun profile. Um, the second thing is we typically run across uh, shooters that sometimes don't have the correct inputs. And it, so if we go through that uh, setup process in, the, in the, uh, the first few hours of the morning, we can roll through the rest of the uh, training course with absolute confidence that that gun profile has been set up and uh, generated absolutely correctly with the most correct inputs. And um, what that allows us to do is troubleshoot if there's any issues in the future with, with absolute confidence in the profile itself. Nice. So that kind of forms the baseline. And then from there, we really get into the, uh, the deeper uh, stuff. And some of it will include classroom work. Um, a lot of the classroom stuff is not so much depth by PowerPoint type thing, but it is actually like it, it, it does have um, a large amount of PowerPoint in it, but there's a lot of practical contained within the PowerPoints as well, like where you're still utilizing the devices to go ahead and calculate certain ballistic effects and uh, showing uh, people how to utilize different AB softwares like the point mass solver um, that comes with the Applied Ballistics Long Range Shooting Book, right? Um, that three disc in there, I don't know if you know, listeners have ever ever actually loaded that into a computer, but it's a point mass solver solver, right? Like, so it's um, it's it represents like one of the most uh, basic uh, types of uh, solvers when it comes to uh, numeric solutions. So, uh, and that cross, also crosses over to AB analytics as well for. Uh, looking at weapon employment zone analysis and basically teaching guys how to utilize that tool so that they can uh, run the comparisons on ballistic merits as well or just simply, you know, run the comparisons between different weapon systems or different effects as well and start to uh, look at how they can best posture their next training session to get the most out of it, basically identify strengths and weaknesses. Nice. And what's uh, for, for that, like with the, on the AB side of things, uh, what do you find is like the the one of the biggest most common errors? Because you know we we all see the input errors that people will come with immediately, and and one of them I know that sticks out in my mind that happened, and I actually called back into you guys. 
um, just because it was so, you know, down in a menu. Somebody had set up a profile, like you said, but then they went into one of the sub menus and set a powder temperature. And so, of course, yeah. you know, they come up to you and they go, hey, this isn't working and what's going on? And then you're looking and you're going, well, wait a minute. How come that's not working right? And like for me on, on my side of things, like immediately I'll be like, all right, I'm not going to mess with this because I got 16 students on the line. And, and it, it's it's like, I'm just going to make you a new profile right away. We'll put that one to the side and let's build a, a brand new profile because it's it's in you know three menus down to find where the guy put a powder temperature in and you had no clue and then he doesn't know enough to tell you he changed something sub menu and and so yeah. so what do you see as some of the biggest um errors in input that maybe a listener can go yeah I, I gotta look at that or I gotta watch that so what would be your advice in that in that sort of initial setup input uh, part of it it, it definitely uh it definitely depends on what uh, platform you're using or what hardware you're using, right? If shooters are running like the AB mobile app, probably the, one of the most common things is, as you were saying, the uh, uh, powder temperature uh, sensitivity and variation per degree. Uh, that's something that people uh, seemingly like to play with. And it's something that'll really mess up your model velocity. And obviously that'll transfer across into uh, observed error in elevation firing solution, right? Um, the other one for the mobile app is the site scale factor or correction factor. Um, people don't necessarily understand what that uh, input value is doing for you. And so when it, when they go ahead and they play with that, uh, the default setting should be 1.00, right? Um, being you're getting exactly the same amount of uh, elevation travel as is advertised by the, uh, the scope manufacturer. And so if they go ahead and uh, jack with that and uh, don't return it back to one and they haven't done a tall target test to establish their site scale factor and determine what the actual um, what that actual value is, being that they've entered this value that is you know, it's way off, that's obviously going to go ahead and jack with their firing solution, being that the solver in the background is going to take the raw firing solution and it's going to multiply it by this correction factor or site scale factor that you just put in that has no kind of relevance or no kind of accuracy to it. And obviously that's going to cause some real big problems for the accuracy of your firing solution as well. So that's probably like the two big ones that I see with the... Uh, the AB mobile app itself uh, with the Kestrel. Um, I think that there's like a little bit more uh, forgiveness in a lot of things with the profile generation. Um, sometimes guys will just miss inputs uh, or they'll be running, you know, a BC uh, that's denoted as a G1 or a G7 versus, um, you know, what, what the actual G standard is that they're referencing or, Sometimes they won't understand that if they're pulling a CDM from the AB Bullet Library, it's going to reference BC as 1.000. The other thing I would say is like the generic uh, settings that the Kestrel comes with as you go to propagate a gun profile, um, sometimes things will be missed like the uh, twist rate being set on 11.25 as standard. Um, and that's going to affect, you know, that's obviously going to affect the amount of spin you see down range. Right, so, right. 
that that's probably like two things there uh, with the Kestrel and the Garmin very very similar as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say with the Garmin and the Kestrel, it comes back to environmental updates, and there's a large amount of forgiveness in that, um, dependent on what the actual error margin is for environment, but. Uh, especially when it pertains to ELR uh, trajectory prediction, you know that's that that error is going to really start to show if you're not updating it just before a uh, a stage or a course of fire. So, you know that's another thing that I definitely see carry across as well. But you know for the most part, just um, somewhat incorrect uh, inputs or just not understanding what the features are. Um, the other one I would say is wind speed one, not understanding that that actually. Uh, Goes and captures your aerodynamic jump component uh, if, as a you know for a pure crosswind at the muzzle, and so if you're running like a 10 mile per hour uh, wind speed one, but there's not actually a 10 mile per hour wind speed one at your muzzle, that wind speed one feature is capturing aerodynamic jump, and that's going to be your 0.1 MRAD um, uh, variation in your elevation firing solution. That's you know 0.1 MRAD of error. Yep. Yep. One of the questions we had with Brian this morning, and he went on, and, and, and this was something that uh, that people ask about, and we actually had the most questions for, for those guys. And, and, and this is something maybe you could want to touch on as well because I think it needs to be uh, reinforced. Is in the case, and, and we all kind of agree with, with most of our software today with, with solid data, um, you shouldn't be truing too much inside a thousand yards. You know, it should be a minor tweak here or there, depending on the system and what you're doing. But people need to true inside a thousand yards because they don't have access to the distances to do. You know, where it turns to thirteen hundred or transonic or in in those things. So if, if you teach a class that only has access to a thousand yard range, and then you come on the truing side of thing, what's your sort of process? for helping people when you can't go into the software because it's saying, hey, you need to do this at 1,400, um, you know, for the subsonic side of things. Is is there a method you you guys use in your class that helps people true their software inside a grand? Yeah, so, I mean, typically you won't have to uh, true that software um, if any at all, um, especially in the supersonic where there's a lot of, you know, uh, forgiveness. Now, it really depends on how well that individual bullet negotiates the trans and subsonic flight regime uh, for your calibration drop scale factor feature, right? Like whether you need to use a Cal DSF. Now, if you're running like a Cal MD, that you're going to run that calibration process in the supersonic portion of the flight regime. Um, as you're saying, you know, sometimes you're limited to 1,000 yard ranges or something like that, but when we go ahead and generate gun profiles, uh, we're actually utilizing the raw inputs um, that we're getting off of the weapon system itself. So when we generate the gun profile, we're using lab radar to uh, go ahead and capture our muzzle velocity. And then we're assessing with a longer range uh, ballistics confirmation uh, after that gun profile has been generated we're assessing at longer range whether there's any error there because it obviously makes sense to go ahead, conduct your short-range zeros, confirm your uh, sight scale factor is, um, or your scope is tracking the way you, you think it's tracking, and then confirm your uh, anti-cant device has been uh, leveled correctly, 
um, and identify what your multi velocity is doing as well with your, your ammunition. And at that point, you know, utilizing lab radar to do that, you've basically uh, generated all of your gun profile, your raw gun profile inputs to go ahead and uh, propagate a um, gun profile in the AB device. At that point, you should be able to, you know, run a custom drag model um, if you can. And if not, you run a G7BC and then turn that weapon system onto a longer range target and um, identify whether there is any, uh, any kind of error in the firing solution, whether any kind of like calibration process needs to take place. If that calibration process does need to take place at that point, and we're confident that there's no kind of error that the user's inducing in the firing solution, being that we're confident like it's, um, it's either a mechanical error or a gun profile input error, we've gone back and checked that to make sure that there's no kind of mechanical or gun profile input error. At that point, we're like, all right, we do need to run a calibration and that might be to take into account some kind of like initial launch dynamic. And, you know, that's a tricky thing there. You're not really going to know if you've got an initial launch dynamic just as a standard shooter. Um, I mean, there's a few different ways to calculate velocity decay in that, but um, the easiest way is to just shoot over Doppler radar at an AB mobile lab event and there's a let us tell you but um there's a few like little secondary um ballistic components in there where there could be some amount of um error that the calibration process will take out aside from that you should see like no error now we still go ahead and we talk about the calibration process because it is the feat it is a feature in the um the solver itself and it does pertain to shooters that may not have chronograph um, and it does pertain to shooters that um, may need to cal DSF in the future. Uh, fortunately, the cal MV and the cal DSF process are similar in the sense that it's important to go ahead and capture all of the same, you know, uh, trajectory prediction inputs for uh, target environment and things like that. So the actual, like, provision of using the gun profile, so the uh, solver inputs that you're going to utilize for that calibration process is very similar in the sense, but now you're just either calculating muzzle velocity, like you're calibrating your muzzle velocity or you're calibrating your drop scale factor for um, mark 1.2 and, uh, and, lo and lower. Does that make sense there? Yeah, yep, I got you. I'm tracking with you. So, and one of the things, and you mentioned this with the, that to make sure it's not a shooter error, we just saw like a guy comes on sniper's hide, and, and we have guys come on all the time and, and, and try to damage control this, which is, is a good way of doing it. Um, they don't all have access to you guys, you know, in their back pocket. And, and, and so, like one of the questions, like we had a guy, you know, his dope was off or the software was off. And then, you know, it's like, hey, what are you doing? And his group's at like, you know, 400 yards. He's got 10 inches of vertical. And then it's like, hey, dude, you, you, it's it's kind of a little bit of you in there, you know, because we're just we're, we're looking at the information we can decipher online or, or over the Internet. But, you know, it's like, well, you got a really big vertical spread in your group size at 400 and you're trying to tell, you know, the computer needs to know. You're asking the computer to be sort of like half minute accurate, but you're, you know, you're two and a half minute of a shooter. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that kind of, it, it, that's that weird. Do you guys like then go and work with that person and say, hey, let's try to fix what you're doing wrong? 
Yeah, of course. So there's, um, as I was saying, like it's important to carry across the fundamentals and the practical aspects of like shooting techniques and um, provide good, solid shooting techniques because we don't we don't just concentrate on the AV solver itself. We're basically uh, providing the link uh, between the uh, the solver and practical shooting outcomes. So, or practical shooting techniques. So. Um, when I kind of uh, talk about that, I mean, uh, it's one of those things where we're obviously like providing the shooter with the means to understand how to apply the uh, AB solver the best practical way they can. But we're also trying to fine tune um, their shoot, their raw shooting technique and uh, trying to develop that as well. Because shooters, when they're, you know, when they're, Coming to a training event or they're, you know, purchasing training, they're paying you good money um, not to just learn how to use the AB solver, but to also develop as shooters as well. And so what we uh, try to do is encompass utilizing the solver with those practical shooting techniques and those practical shooting applications so that they do become a well-rounded, better shooter in general. And one way they can do that is to better understand the, the science behind um, external ballistics and then also understand how to utilize the AB solver. But we can also directly work with them as well um, in terms of developing their raw shooting ability. Nice. Yeah. And, and that's the big key is, is that, like, you know, we put that focus into, into the shooter side of it. Um, you know, and then give them the tools to go out and because like you had said, uh, you know, if somebody in in my mind, if they're taking an A-B training class, well, they should be showing up with some kind of A-B software. I mean, like you said, you're the guys who wrote it. Who better to learn it from than the people who actually wrote it? So, it, it, you know, in, in, in my case, I got guys that come in, you know, they got Strelock, they got Hornaday, they got AB, they got Traceall, they got, the, you know what I mean? So it's the it's the entire wide range of it. I sort of, I, I, I wish we had that focus. And we originally talked with Kestrel because they do have the training program and stuff and they, they might have sent some stuff over to Mile High for them, but um, I hadn't grabbed it for me because my, my classes are sort of all over the place. But it, it, it's interesting to to see where, where you know, it, it, when you get guys that come to class and, and, and as soon as you walk in the door and before you said the first thing, they're like their software's in their hand ready to go because they're so excited, you know? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, as I say, like that's, that's a unique scenario in itself as well, Frank, being that you're trying to accommodate multiple different uh, types of software as, as well or, you know, different applications. And so... Uh, that's, you know, that presents some amount of difficulty. Uh, Very similar, though, actually, to uh, shooters utilising different hardware um, on our courses. So, you know, it's not uncommon to have one shooter running their AV mobile app because that's what they want to understand how to better utilise. And then you've got another shooter that is using a Kestrel, um, whether that's his own Kestrel or a, a training division um, training device. And then you've got another guy that's running a Garmin um, and another guy running an LRF, and they've all got the AB solver in it. 
but how you utilize those d- devices or navigate the uh, menus and submenus is like subtly different as well. And so it presents a, a similar issue, but uh, a slightly different dif- difficulty as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 always interesting the dynamics of classes. You know what I mean? And to see the 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 variation in student and, and to be like, you know, uh, where the interest falls for each person because it is slightly different. You know, there there are common themes to a class and to a students, and sometimes the class has its own little dynamic and and it moves in that direction, but it it, it to me it's it's sort of an interesting character study of what direction people gravitate to when it comes to long range shooting in the classes in the software in the, in the gear and the tools you know who's the gear guy who's the electronics guy who's the no I don't want any of that stuff guy you know what I mean it's like no I just want a I want a rifle and a shooting stick and nothing else you know and 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 and, and, and then you know you got a guy who I want all of it latest greatest give it to me get me I want a mark 22 mrad with a Leopold uh you know mark 5 on it I gotta have a B and and matter of fact I got a little extra money I'm gonna put a Wilcox on top of it too you know so it's funny yeah, right. that these Throw a raptor on that. yeah yeah, 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 right. So it, it, it's kind of interesting those dynamics of students and people, and and and, and just to see the directions in the life a class can take of on its own. Yeah, definitely, and I I, I see that often. It's it's interesting you bring that up, and I think it's you know um, something that we we both understand well. Going in, you've you've definitely got to read the room and understand at what level your shooters are um, able to, or what level your shooters' abilities are at, so that you're presenting the most relevant uh, information to them. I mean, you would you wouldn't want to uh, stick with a structurally rigid uh, curriculum where you were just repeating information that all of the shooters uh, already knew or understood well. Right. Um, you want to be providing them some, you know, some service in the sense that you're going to be developing them as shooters and trying to develop them as much as you possibly can in the time frame that you have without giving them information overload. And I think that's a fine line right there. Uh, you're trying to give shooters as much information as possible, the most correct information you possibly can, but also not information overload them by the end of the day as well. Otherwise, I think it just becomes overbearing at some point, but the uh, the training um, and versus equipment thing is an interesting uh, aspect as well, and it's I think that's something that is alive and well in the uh, the shooting industry. Uh, being that sometimes you know, as you said, Frank, you see guys that rock up and they've got you know a everything down to a Wilcox Raptor on top as well. Um, and they might have spent, you know, $10,000 on a, uh, on a weapon system. You know, it might be an Actress International or a Seiko or an um, M10 or something like that, right? Uh, but then I guess this is probably like something that irks me a little bit in the industry is like you see guys that roll in and they've got, you know, a 10K weapon system and $250 in training or something and, there is some amount of gap that that weapon system bridges, but only as well as that shooter is able to utilize it. Cause you know, the gun's not going to shoot itself. Right. 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 Um, and what I typically try and say to guys is like, if you can learn how to use the tools that you have effectively, 
and then understand the device features, uh, you know, within the solver that you're utilizing or the tool that you're utilizing and utilize it as a tool, not a crutch. And then continue to develop, um, you know, continue to rack up that time behind the bolt running practical application and quality practice and develop as a good shooter into a great shooter. And then once you hit a stagnant point where your equipment is the limiting factor, not you limiting your equipment, you should then try and save up and go and upgrade, right? So it's kind of something that's like, it's interested me because I, I do believe like great equipment can definitely bridge a performance uh, gap or a lack of shooting ability in some capacity, but it's, um, I, I think the opposite end of that is a great shooter can bridge the equipment gap of just running a factory standard rifle, especially with, you know, how, uh, how the quality is with factory rifles straight out of the box these days. You typically expect them to be, you know, sub MOA. So if you've got like a half decent factory rifle and a half decent, decent scope, but excellent, awesome shooting ability, you're going to be able to push that weapon system a lot further than the guy that has that $10,000 weapon, but no shooting ability or no training to go with it. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of the philosophy, like with me and my classes, you know, I, I try to go like even most of the first day there, there's homework. So it's, it's at the very end of the day that I kind of do it, but I try to use that first day and not have any kind of electronics on the line form and work on the shooter and to get everybody in a sort of standard baseline. And then before we end at the end of the first day, we kind of do a, a, a little bit to build their profile. And then I send them off that night when they go home to, you know, work the, 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 the profile and work the computer. And then, the, you know, usually it, it depends where we are. Some places we can all be together. Like in the classes I teach in Alaska, everybody's in the same place, so I can do them with them. It's like an after-hour class uh, where I say, bring me your data, bring your, your your software, and then we'll look at it. Or if it's a class where I go to a hotel room and they go home or wherever they go, then it's like, well, go do this and come to me tomorrow morning with a profile, and then we can look at it at that point. And sort of day two starts me to let them put their head in their software and to start gathering and, and confirming data and doing it that way. But for the first day, I try to kind of lock them up for me so I don't have their heads in phones and stuff because, you know, you always get the one guy who's, who, he, he, and, and not so much negatively, but they're, again, it's an excitement factor. It's like they can't wait to get to that part. They really into the, I mean, you know, some of us like stereos and TVs and cars more than they like a gun or this or, you know, whatever. And, and it, it, it's like that's their that's their attention. And, and so to keep that guy from, you know, looking the other way most of the time, it's like, all right, everybody, let's do this. Let's get get ourselves tuned up as best we can. And then once we, we know we're on a, on a similar page that way, then I can move them in to start talking software. Yeah, definitely. I think like um, the the important thing is that the shooters can cross over those fundamentals that you're uh, you're talking about, Frank, and like have a solid base there. And if they don't have that solid base to build from, it's like important that you develop that solid base first before you kind of move move forward with that. 
Um, and that's something our, our trainers are constantly striving to do with, with guys is to develop those, you know, those solid fundamentals and those solid mm. bases. And if they don't exist, you know, um, help them to, you know, exist. If they do exist already, can they be fine tuned or are they already, you know, um, exceptionally good at the fundamentals? And in that instance, you can just, uh, move forward really quick and, and concentrate on, uh, you know, developing those guys further as uh, as more robust shooters. Right, right, yeah. So, so get them spun up a little bit. Where do you guys have a um? Do you have a home range, a home field that you do your training out of, or are you all mobile? I, I mean, I know you have like the Canadian guys that help up there, and and there's different locations, but like U.S. based. Do you have a a, a a main range, or is it just dependent on where you've you, you've you've set up for that particular month? And then people would say, "Hey, there's going to be a class in um you know California on this day," and then you sign up there. Yeah, more often than not, it's uh, location dependent. Um, sometimes we'll work with uh, you know other long range training companies to bring a partnered event to shooters in the area. And of course, then we'll kind of travel to their location and, uh, you know, we'll, they'll host the event and we'll provide uh, supplementary um, information and uh, supplementary uh, training as well, uh, in, especially in terms of, you know, the AB Solver and that as well. Um, and bridge, bridge that gap where, where it exists. Um, and then other times uh, we'll put on our, um, uh, independent courses, those, you know, those predominantly those four courses uh, from that curriculum that, that was generated, you know, about a year and a half ago or whatever. And they, that will be at independent ranges around the state sometimes too. But we are kind of like uh, working towards a more permanent um, AB training and testing facility in the future, uh, hopefully. So, you know, we'll see um, how everything rolls out in the next. Anyway, yeah, you guys are in good months. shape. You should be able to build a first-class facility, um, we, especially with the government stuff you guys been doing lately. Yeah, it's been busy. Yeah, been, uh, busy on that end. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So, what's is there? Do you guys have like a signature drill or something um, that's sort of like? Uh, a, a a final test, a signature drill. Is there something that you guys do to sort of wrap it all up and send somebody home with? Is there is there anything in that sort of uh, area that you guys do, and in, 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 or is it just um you know here's the tools and it really you, you, we know that your your software's up to speed and and then at that point. Any any target is just a number out of out of the Kestrel, you know. Like it, it's not an unknown range target; it's just an odd number, you know. It's not unknown; yeah, it's just odd. It's it's a bit of both, Frank. Really, uh, so we'll try and wrap uh, each individual course up with like a little bit of a friendly competition, um, trying to get the guys to run into a uh, cognitive um, exercise. Uh, where they're utilizing all of these things that I've been taught and all of the information I've been provided to get to an end, uh, an end state or an end outcome, right? Achieve that like end goal of like it engaging targets in within their uh, shooting capacity. And so if it's a, uh, a more novice or like less experienced course, 
you know, we wouldn't expect them to be able to rapidly engage multiple targets across various ranges, um, you know, on the clock in uh, rapid succession or whatever. Um, and that might be some kind of engagement scenario that plays out towards the end in, you know, in a friendly competition and how to encompass the Kestrel or the Garmin or whatever they're using within that engagement scenario as well. Um, sometimes depending on, you know, other courses, it might be an, uh, you know, a friendly EOR style competition. Um, and, you know, we'll tri- typically try and carry that over into, um, making sure that the guys are put into a cognitive exercise where it makes them think about the information and the training that have been provided over the previous few days and apply that to get to the end state as well. You know, and then you add a sprinkling of competition there among shooters and things go a little bit wild at that point. So, it, uh, you know, it always goes well, I think. Yeah, no, we do the same after every kind of ever every little evolution. We do a little mini comp um, ourselves, and we'll do about you know four or so during a weekend. Uh, you know, either might be a KYL because you know on the static side, we'll, we'll we'll like you were saying, you don't do multiple targets at multiple distance under time uh, uh, right away. You, you know, so one of the first ones we might do is we have a, a sporty little KYL rack. And, you know, it's at 400 yards or so. And we'll say, okay, you know, it, it, it's it's four targets on the KYL rack. You got five shots to play with, you know, who, and then we'll throw the whiteboard up and score everybody and, and see who comes out. And then usually that's when I toss them a hat or a patch or whatever you have for swag, extra swag stuff. And and then, you know, at, at the towards the end, we have um, we'll we'll mark the the, the range with some uh, we call them Dorothy targets. Uh, Mike and I, if you ever listen to podcasts, we talk about Dorothy all the time, and those are targets we use. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dorothy was a woman who worked for Mile High, and these targets remind us of her. <laughs> oh, right. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, they're 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 like labeling out to a thousand yards after a thousand. Our my range goes every hundred yards to a mile. But um, we we only work the uh, it's two sides. It's 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 you could shoot them all from the same firing line, but I have a road down the middle, and if you go sh- straight out in front of you, it goes to fourteen twenty five. But then if you cross the road on the right, it goes fifteen sixteen, and then seventeen eighty, and then technically we could back up, but we don't back up in class. Um, but we could back up, and I can turn the uh, the seventeen hundred into twenty eight hundred. So what we'll do is we'll go from, say, that, that 200 yard to 1,000 and, and we'll let them walk out. And basically, we'll say, okay, you got 10 rounds and you're going to go and you're going to walk out. And when you miss, you stop kind of thing. Um, you, only, you only get X amount of shots per. And so we'll do a walkout drill. That is under time near the end and, and, and see who's the closest one to get to 1,000 yards or who makes it to 1,000 uh, without missing, you know, that kind of stuff. So there's all, yeah. there's all kinds of neat little drills and stuff you could do. And I do love the, I love pitting the comp side of people in, in, in shooting them and then scoring them. Cause there is a weird added pressure when you score somebody like that, it gets in their head, you know, and, and you standing over there and they know there's a white board up and people can see. And, and it's like, how many did you hit? Oh, you only hit four. Wait a minute. You, 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 you know, and, 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 you know, you know, your buddy Bob, who you brought, and, and wasn't near as interested as you, he hit eight, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, oh, I think, you know, generally people want to do well as well when they uh, yeah. get put 
under the under the spotlight in in a competition or something. Um, yeah, and I mean it's all it's all good fun. I actually, funnily enough, you mentioned all that as well. I actually do a similar style of uh, um, like micro comp, but it actually serves as you know a test of objectives uh, for whatever learning objectives we've just covered being in this case uh, point blank range um, application and we do it like a rapid engagement using PBR mm-hmm. out to uh, you know a intended range and that's always good fun as well um, having two shooters like line off against each other and try and rapidly engage the, uh, the target before the other it's just, it's yeah dueling fun. it's a dueling tree and long range you know we were just we're just doing it on the ground instead of having a tree <laughs> yeah and I mean you know um, I, I also like to uh, get into a lot of alternate shooting position stuff as well, and so it's not um, especially towards the the you know the more advanced courses as you get on. It's not um, unlikely to you know not throw in some alternate position shoots as well with you know PBR in that instance. So yeah, it keeps the guys thinking on their feet, keeps them you know shooting dynamic. Um, positions and techniques and making sure that they're uh, constantly like well-refined, well-rounded and well-polished. Nice, nice. Hey, so we're coming up on the hour for you guys. Um, Is there anything else that we, we didn't cover, we didn't go on or something that you guys wanted to talk about uh, before we get to, you know, and, 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 and call it pretty good? But I, it, I don't know if there's any little topic or area that you were hoping to cover that maybe I didn't touch on. No, I think it's been uh, pretty, pretty good. Frank and I hope that the listeners find it you know, educational and interesting. I think that uh, probably like one of my biggest tips as a, uh, a trainer and, and a shooter myself is uh, for shooters to get out there and shoot competitions. There is just so much value in in shooting comps that you know you're put under the under the clock. You know, adds an additional element of pressure. Um, really tests your abilities and then allows you to fine-tune your abilities as well, identify your weaknesses and your strengths and and develop them further. So I would say to our listeners, like, get out there and shoot as many comps as you, as you possibly can. For, um, that's for sure. That's one thing. And it's funny. I just got a text today right before you called that I, I guess some of the California – you're out in California, aren't you? Uh, no, I'm uh, out of – Texas. Oh, okay. You're Texas. But yeah, California, I guess they're going to be doing comps for like NRL and they want you to wear a mask during the comps. So yeah, that's going to be interesting, right? I mean, you could add add an additional element to it uh, and just roll a gas mask instead. I wouldn't really wish that on anyone. No. That's a little bit gross, but uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to test yourself. Um, (laughs) I mean, each for their own out there in California as well. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But you know what? If if it keeps them from skylining themselves, I'm all for it. I get it. If if, if it's a way to get a hundred people on a line and to shoot a competition without the state or somebody coming and saying, "Hey, you can't do that no more." If if you turn around and say, "Hey, we're practicing our distance to the best of our ability, and we're all wearing a mask," you know, what argument would someone have to say, "No, you can't do that"? You know, you're outside. Yeah, exactly, and I completely agree. You know, if it's not, um, you know, if it's not crossing any lines or breaking any laws or regulations or whatever, like power tool, um, you know, that's a different form of social distancing in itself from what twelve hundred and something yards or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well. yeah. Yes, you totally. Four to six feet. <laughs> cool, man. So, hey, what's uh, just a 
few last few minutes here. What's for for you personally? Do you have like a go to rifle caliber? Like if 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 you're basically saying, hey, I'm gonna go teach a class. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm I'm going to Nebraska. I'm gonna teach a class. And you're packing up your stuff. Uh, what's your go-to rifle? What do you? What caliber? Uh, uh, what What is sort of the, the the piece of equipment that you're using as an instructor? Oh, Frank, I actually talk in bullets. To be honest, um, so the the rifle itself is just a platform that enables me to shoot the bullet that I want um, at the velocity that I want, and that's really what I uh, you know what I kind of center on. So. Um, you know, I shoot, I still shoot a fancy sniper comp, uh, over here and when I, when I can, when I have the time. Um, and part of that restricts me to, you know, either, uh, 762 or 556. Um, as the secondary shooter, I shoot with one of the guys from the company who's an engineer. Funnily enough, the, the engineer that took that spot for the, uh, the, um, job application that I was talking about at the start of the show. Right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Right. But, um, He's shooting a 6.5 Creed. I'm shooting a, uh, a 308, and I'm running the 175 OTMs and sometimes the uh, 185 uh, Burger Juggernauts as well. Just both exceptionally great bullets. Um, when I'm not kind of sidelined uh, ballistically by you know a restriction or a constraint in terms of a cartridge, I uh, I do definitely favour the 300 Norma Mag and the. Uh, the 215 and the 230 hybrids from Burger as well, just exceptionally great bullets, um, just uber consistent, uh, you know, on target every time. And it just, it, um, I would describe it as just boringly consistent when it comes to. Uh, yeah, my Norma, I, I'm actually just getting ready to redo my Norma. I kind of nuked it a little bit. Uh, I took it to Gunsight last year and. So I was in mile high Monday, Friday, ordering a new Norma barrel for my, um, I'm actually going to change my AI, my WSM, um, yeah. to a Norma. And because I had a, I have a GA precision sort of, it was an original 338 and then we turned it into a Norma and, and all that. And it, it, I was, I'm kind of messing that action up. It's an old, old, the Remington 338 action we built it off of. And, oh yeah. Yeah, and it's starting to get the heat's starting to really beat up on it, and it gets sticky when it gets hot a little bit. So I'm going to a bigger, heavier with the AI, um, and, and to run the Norma. So I told Mile High to spin me up a, a Norma barrel so I can put it in. Then I'm probably going to take the the Norma and step that guy down to something to reduce some of the heat on that Remington action because that that Remington it was I think they used to call it like the MLR. Um, it was a 338, and it was a little on the edge, a small, you know, receiver-wise for something that big. And um, it, 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 heat really messes with it. So uh, I, I'm thinking about taking it and maybe bringing it a notch down and turning it into something a, a little less, um, uh, you know, a little less powder than the 88, 89 grains, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think I... I will say, Frank, um, in terms of, you know, like your uh, rebarreling and that, I am a big fan of uh, fast twist rate. I will say that when it comes to weapon platforms. Like my uh, my 308 gas gun from Sons of Liberty uh, has a BART line uh, 1 in 8 on it. Um, my, you know, custom 308 from AB Weapons Division has a uh, 1 in 9, and I probably would have rebarreled, I'll rebarrel that in a 1 in 8. And... Uh, 
then my Norma has a one in eight on it as well. Uh, yeah, we see. I see uh, too much inconsistency with it. I, I get flyers when I go to the eight. So what I've been doing is a gain twist, but my Normas are 10 twists. And I'm shooting a 230 uh, burger with a 10 twist. And it's it's it like the gun sight group that I actually posted, it was uh, three-eighths of an inch like at 100, but then it takes it out to the 2,000, no problem. Because I'm doing a 230 grain at 29.90 out of a 10 twist, and I love it. And what's the barrel length there? Uh, I'm only 25 on my um, on that one. I'm going. To, I'm going to go 27 on the next. But I, I generally most of the stuff I've been rebarreling with when it comes to like these. Uh, do I want to go fast? Do I want to go slow? I've been gain twisting it. So like my my yeah. I have a Valkyrie that's gain twisted. I was just talking about. I've just did like three Creedmoors in the last month. Uh, all gain twists. Um, my Norma, I'll probably go. I have a, 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 a six mil. That's a gain twist. So I find if I go to the gain twist, it's not only much more forgiving on bullet weight. So it doesn't care. It loads and its uh, load development's easier. And a lot of times we'll find. Um, like the best example I have is my 260, which is a gain twist. I have a 136 uh, CNR hand load, and then I shoot the prime ammo, which is a 130 factory. They zero exactly the same. They're identical. You can't tell one from the other, and they only start to separate about four to 600 yards when the BC starts to kick in. You'll see the dope start to change. But the thing is, is I can mix... I can mix bullet weights with gain twists and it has zero effect on me and it, the, the guns don't care and I don't see pressures. I don't see problems. I tried going to the eight twist on stuff and it didn't work for me. Uh, that's interesting. I've had a lot of great success with the, uh, the faster twist. Um, it's kind of, on a, on a side note, it's kind of always great when the worlds align and uh, you're running two different bullets um, and you're point of aim, point of impact is still the same from your short range zero. That's kind of nice being that you don't need to input any kind of zero height or uh, zero offset. Yeah, no offsets. Your gun profile. But um, the other thing uh, I was going to say as well is uh, for listeners, actually, the gain twist, you just brought up something interesting, Frank. If you are running a gain twist uh, and you're running, you know, AB, make sure you go ahead and input your gun profile for the, uh, the gaining twist. Um, yeah, the exit you know, the twist. That, that right. Is going to, yeah. The exit. Uh, the exit in the muzzle. Yeah. Which is uh, one question that kind of comes up every now and again. I just thought I'd just. Yeah. Lot, oh, people for, always for ask me what number do I put in? You put the exit twist rate. So um, yeah, it's, it's exactly like um, I was just talking my Valkyrie. I, I, I actually had a call back to Mile High and I said, what was my Valkyrie twist rate? I don't remember. Um, you know, so <laughs> it, but it was. It, it's it's this like seven and a half and then it goes to six and three quarter, you know, so I put in the six and three quarter. So I put in that that ending twist rate and the same thing, um, you know, with, with any of them, it's that ending like my six mils is like I think a seven four. And so uh, it ends at seven four. So that's in the computer that way. And then um, a, a lot of them are, uh, you know, just in, in different spots. But hey, we're um, uh, hang on. You still there because I got somebody trying to call in. Client. Yeah, you're good. Friend. That's Jim Hodge. You know Jim Hodge? No, I do not. Know Hodge, either. Hodge Defense uh, ARs. Okay. Yeah, Jimmy Hodge. He's calling Jim Hodge. No, anyway. So hey, we hit that hour, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, give your website and give everybody how to get in touch with the AB Training Division. 
Um, I, 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 we're, we're at your hour, man. I had you for the full, t- the full time. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I just encourage uh, listeners to go ahead and visit the AV website. You know, obviously do the old social media, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff, right? But more importantly, keep an eye out for AV Trading Division events. Um, it's a little bit uh, disjointed with the all of the COVID stuff going on at the moment, but, you know, it'll shake out towards the end of the year. And then also we've got a lot of AV Mobile uh, lab events coming up in the future as well at, like, various PRS comps and such. So, you know, definitely keep your eye out, and especially if you're in uh, the area near an AB Mobile lab event, come out and shoot your weapon system over Doppler and get a PDM as well. Nice. Um, aside from that, Frank, uh, thanks very much for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure, mate. Cool, man. Stay on the line really quick. I'm going to do the exit music and head out, and then I'll just give you a quick talk to you, tell you what I'm going to do with this after we're done. But uh, hang on the line. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper program. Uh, make sure you go and, and uh, comment in the app. Uh, oh, you guys have been light on comments lately. We like the comments. So hook that up, and we will talk to you soon. Cheers.